0: This is Steve Summers, WFAN Radio, and you are listening to the Mike Sappho Podcast. Mike Sappho here, and finally,
1: hmm. you there. Steve Summers, what a pleasure.
0: Well, it's my pleasure, too. I mean, obviously, uh, it's been you've been on me for a long, long time. I think I celebrated about four or five birthdays before uh, we finally made this connection, so... It's my pleasure to be here and thanks for having me i broke you down steve i emailed <laughs> you relentlessly for, monzo
1: gave me your email and for two years i relentlessly harassed you and you just broke down
0: well i yeah i ran out of excuses everything <laughs> but I, i'm glad we're finally doing it it's fun and thank you for hosting me at the palatial wfn estates <laughs> that's right they come by for coffee yes and uh, they have actually and uh now i've gotten to know uh, a few of uh of the city's finest, that's for sure. So you're the next one in line for me to meet. And you got a nice PBA card out of it, so that was a consolation prize. That's it, uh,
1: yeah. How long, because you were one of the original guys, the OG back in 87 when the station started. Right. Tell me the difference with the stations now, because look where we're sitting now. We're sitting in Francesca's studio. It's beautiful. We've got actually nice views. Boomer and, Car- and Geo studio right next door. Tell me about the Astoria Studios when you first got there.
0: Well, it it, it was so... Much of a dump. It was, and I'll explain. It, it was so, uh, I, first of all, the Kaufman Astoria Studios, an historic building in New York City because silent movies were made there. Sesame Street is still made there. The Cosby Show, America's Father, uh, that was made there. Uh, and God knows how many people he made there. <laughs> Uh, and Lifetime Cable, Sinatra also uh, at Master Sound Studio recorded one of his albums there. Uh, the Marx Brothers made a number of movies there. The Corman Astoria Studios did silent movies uh, from the days of Harold Lloyd, who was a famous silent movie actor, comedian. And so the building is a part of New York City's history, and it's so labeled. That way is an historic building. WFAN was so down in the station, we were below. We had to look up to see the basement. That's where WFAN was in the very beginning. And the building, sort of like Shea Stadium, had odd colors that didn't match. The building was falling apart. You could see mice on some nights scurrying about on the same, in the same hallways that you were walking going in and out of the radio station, but it had a charm. And then after 22 years there, we moved into Manhattan, and a lot of the young guys ooh, were moving into Manhattan. And where we are right now, Mike, doing uh, your, your program, doing your podcast, is very corporate. It's mm-hmm. a lot of glass, a lot of white. But uh, the Kaufman Astoria Studios, for some of us, and I'm one of them, had so much charm, and it was, you know, I I mean, if those walls could talk from uh, the early 1900s and movies that were made there, and as I say, with Sinatra and so forth and so on, and uh, the TV shows that are still done there, Lifetime Cable is still headquartered there. So, and again, so uh, some of us miss it, but we're in Manhattan, of course, and uh, and uh, and some of the young guys love the fact that we have a Manhattan
1: address <laughs> of course so now i i i'm a big fan of yours so i know about your career you were out there in sacramento you're in huh. san fran you were in california now you come to the big lights broadway when you come into a story are you thinking to yourself what the heck did i just get myself into oh
0: well not, not really i i uh, started out in california cuz i'm i was born in san francisco if you were to look at my high school yearbook, it says Ambition, under all the things mm-hmm. you may have done in high school, it says Ambition New York Broadcaster. So my dream in high school, my dream, my goal, my ambition, my destination was going to be New York City, uh, uh, to be among the best. Wow. And the first night it was on the air at WFAN in July of, uh, of eighty seven. I said, if I get fired from this job, like I have from just about every other job I've had, it won't be for lack of effort. But this is where I wanted to end up. And even in high school, and a number of people here at the station Mm -hmm. have seen that yearbook with that ambition labeled. And um, uh, so I knew what I wanted to do, and my thinking was, I will either spend the rest of my life trying to get to New York or or the rest of my life, you know, being there. So, I I've been you have to be good. I understand mm-hmm. that, but you have to be lucky too. And it's about a 6-hour flight from San Francisco to say New York. I I mean, I, I, I tell people it took me 22 years <laughs> that flight. Uh but 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 I'm, I'm I've been very very lucky, that's for sure. The norm now is
1: 24-hour sports talk radio, 24-hour sports talk TV, the hot takes, the norm. When you first got here, were you confident right away that 24-hour sports talk was going to be a thing? Um, I
0: was so ha- I Everyone thought the station wasn't going to work in the very beginning. It didn't make any money. It languished until Imus came to the mm-hmm. morning program and brought a lot of sponsors, brought a lot of revenue. And in a way, help buoy, help lift the rest of the station. He was the true foundation of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. And, I mean, everyone knew from Imus um, and uh, with the morning. And, you know, he brought brought a lot of sponsors. He brought a lot of advertising revenue to the station. Mm -hmm. But the first couple of three, four years, the station was really hurting. And a lot of people thought it wasn't going to make it. I uh, was their last hire also. Uh, in the in the very beginning, before WFAN was born, they wanted to be 24 hours, but they weren't sure if it was going to work. They thought about syndicated programming overnight. They thought about repeating daytime oh. programming overnight or having a live person to make it 24 hours. So they decided for... the. Lucky me! Uh, they decided on twenty-four hours, and I think that overnight show in the beginning was between me and Ed Coleman. Really, and they, uh, I guess, you know, rolled the, you know, flipped a coin, mm-hmm. and I and I got it, and uh, that's where I made my bones for, for sure. And I used to think the only people listening in those early days were just the four or five people on the phone lines. <laughs> that was it. I mean. Well, my mother used to say, who's listening? I would remind her a reminder. It's a 24-hour town. Come on. <laughs> the city that doesn't sleep. When you went to overnights right away, because you have to be
1: nervous right away, like you said, what person is listening to Sports Talk 2 a.m.? And then you were the captain of the Midnights. You owned the Midnight Airwaves. Did you ever want to leave the Midnights?
0: No, I didn't. Uh, that's a great question, Mike, because I, I didn't want to. And after about nine and a half years— Salzburg was working 10-to-1, Russ Salzburg, mm-hmm. and uh, he wasn't making it at all. I mean, uh, Mike Breen once said the only people listening to Russ were was his family. <laughs> I mean, the, the ratings were not there. And instead of firing him after two years of him working solo mm-hmm. in that 10-to-1 shift, they decided to match good cop, bad cop. Mm-hmm. And my direction from uh, the general manager, Ann Chernoff, was cut him off because he would be yelling and screaming all the time and losing a little bit of control. So my job description was cut him off. And I've always said that working with Russ was like working with a member of the family, the Manson family, (laughs) the Adams family. I know you had a tumultuous time with him, right? Well, in the beginning, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to work uh, 10 to 1. Mm-hmm. I wanted to stay overnight where I was enjoying it, and it was seemed to be working. Uh, I mean, the feedback and the reaction was good, and I was having a lot of fun, and, you know, in the middle of the night, so, and I was getting calls, and people like Seinfeld were calling in, and, uh, uh, Robert Klein, the comedian, Stephen Wright. Mm-hmm. The comedian also was calling in from the Boston area where he's from. Tony Roberts, a Broadway actor, big Met fan. He was calling in. And I, I you know, Andrew Dice Clay mm-hmm. even called in one night. And we didn't believe that, but we had a call back with the number that we were was we were left and to find out that it really was him. So, and then regular people, and because it was new, the station was new, overnight sports talk was new, and all of the shtick that I was doing seemed to work. Mm-hmm. And you don't know. You have maybe a plan, you have an approach, you have an idea of what you want to do, but you don't know if it's going to work or not. And as you know better than anyone, You know, uh, New York can be very, very tough, and you could hear it from the crowd. But I I got off to a good start, and I said the first night I was on the air, and I mean it, and I'll never forget, I said, if I get fired from this job before, uh, and I've been fired before, if I get fired from this job, it won't be for lack of effort. I always always
1: thought the midnights were a perfect setup for any sports host because... The game ends, Yankee game, Nick yeah, game. you're the first
0: responder.
1: You're the guy. And yeah. if it's a bad loss, they're going to go to you. Yeah. And you do. You put the comedic twist to it. You have your own shtick, yeah. which is amazing. But a bad loss, big win that everyone's putting on Sports Talk loved Radio. It. Yeah,
0: that, that must be a perfect segue yeah, for you, loved right? loved it. Yeah, loved it. And to me, even though, I mean, it's not radio primetime, morning show, afternoon drive, those are, of course, uh, primetime. I... Treated, as did Joe Beningo, Mm -hmm. who followed me overnight, we treated it like primetime. We didn't take it for granted. We didn't think, oh, it doesn't count. Uh, It meant something to me uh, to be finally in New York, and it meant something to me to have my own program. And it was no family around for distractions, no friends around Mm -hmm. for distractions, my, because when I was starting out as a young man in the Bay Area, and I was doing some radio and TV, my mother would say, your tie wasn't straight. <laughs> yeah, and it didn't match the shirt. What are you doing? Only my son. Well, you had those kinds of things. Here, I didn't have any of that to worry about. And you wear all black anyway, so it doesn't exactly, matter to you anyway, That's right, so... exactly right.
1: I've had... I'm the Johnny Cash of yeah. radio. <laughs> I've been lucky by doing this show, and Opie from Opie and Anthony took a liking to me and hired me, and I've had on amazing guests. So I've had, and I'm not a memorabilia guy, but I've always said, like, whoever comes on, I've just had Oakley on and this one. I always get a jersey of memorabilia, but I I, I hang nothing uh-huh. in my house. I got to tell you something, Steve. In my house, I have two seats from Yankee Stadium, and above that, I have a few things framed, and one of them is a, a bunch of your monologues that Monzo no, oh, took great. from me. I'm very flattered. And I mean that. Um, the huh. monologues have become infamous. How long does it take you to write those? Because I saw it, it was scribbly. It was. I loved it
0: on the yellow legal pads. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, I, I, I was. Well, some of them uh, work, some of them connect, and some of them don't too. I mean, I, I know when when they don't work, and I think the key with any of it is the delivery. It's uh, more than the writing. Uh, the right the, there's obviously writing for the ear. Because people are only going to hear it once, so the writing is pretty simple, unless mm-hmm. you repeat the monologue later on, but which I've done, much to Chernoff's chagrin. He figures <laughs> once is enough, but but the bottom line is that if you're writing print, you know the reader can reread the paragraph, reread the story, but with radio, it, they're only going to hear it one time per se. So. It's pretty simple writing, and I think the key has always been the delivery mm-hmm. more than the writing. Do you keep your monologues? Do I what? Do you keep the monologues? Do you uh, have a- some of them. My, my wife thinks that our apartment is a dump <laughs> because it's lined in that yellow paper. Really? Oh, it's all over the place, and and uh, it goes back 25, 30 years. Uh, wh- wh- I've saved some. I've tried to throw some of it away where I don't think it's very good to save anyway. I tell my wife, you'll become a rich woman after I'm dead and gone. Try to put some of these on eBay, and maybe somebody will buy them. Of course they will. Yeah, yeah, well, I don't know about that. You know, Marv Albert told me a long time ago that sports books really don't sell well, and he's written like seven Mm -hmm. or eight of them. Carton, when he was working here at the station, he had a book out, yes. and he promoted it every morning. Uh, while you know, while it was getting out there, he promoted it every morning, and went to a, a Barnes and Noble all over the tri-state area. You know, it didn't sell much. Sports books don't sell a great deal. One sport, a sports writer who not only had a best-selling book, but um, uh, the book made into a movie was Mitch Album. Uh, with uh, Tuesdays with Mm -hmm. Maury, really about a dying person. So when it transcends the toy department, when it transcends hits, runs, and errors, uh, and then you are talking more about everyday real life, then maybe a sports writer can write a book and and have it sell, as was the case with Mitch Albom. But if you do memoirs or... I mean, uh, to me, it's a little... I, I mean, maybe it'd be nice to have it on record mm-hmm. or to have somebody. I've, be, I've been asked to write a book, but I haven't really got a good idea. And I, I, and I don't think that memoirs, my memoirs are going to sell all that much <laughs> to begin with.
1: I disagree, but I'll tell you a funny story with, with us, Steve.
0: You're doing 10 to
1: 1, the sweater and the schmooze, right? Right. And uh, my girlfriend went to St. John's University. I lived on Staten Island, and I would drive out there, you know, once a week to see her. Sure. And my mom had a cell phone. This is a true story. And uh, I wanted to call on. And I was young; I was maybe 18. And I called in, and maybe like an hour and a half, I'm on hold. I get on for 40 <laughs> seconds. For me, that was like heaven. I, I was on, <laughs> and uh, then the cell phone bill came. Cause this is, and my mom goes, "You." I think the bill was like a hundred dollars extra. It was a hundred dollar call calling you in the midday. Oh, no she kidding. was not happy with you. Oh, wow. Can can you well, clear up an, an urban legend for me, though? Say again? Can you clear up an urban legend? Oh, well, uh, if you want, yeah. yes. When you left the 10-to-1 shift, you weren't fired, I don't think. No. Is it true that Seinfeld, Jerry from Queens, yes. called the station yes. yelling and screaming? He thought I was fired. Yeah, everyone did, because
0: you kind of were just off the air, well, weren't you? Well, uh, see, most people, you know, um, uh, uh, most, I'm going to be matter-of-fact with you. Most mm-hmm. people thought that uh, Salzburg benefited from me more than I benefited with the teaming with him. Uh, I was better alone, whether it be the monologue, the production piece. We couldn't do a lot of that as with him as a partner. And also, he was rough with callers. I think he was very good on TV, working at Channel 9 at the time, reading a teleprompter. He was fine, terrific. Radio was a little bit more of a challenge for us. And... Uh, um and uh, so he figured that he was going to get the caller before the caller got him. And that kind of approach, you know, is uh, uh, not, not as positive maybe as it could be. Uh, I, As I say, we, I was put with him, and I didn't want to do it in the beginning, even though it would have been more money, and it was. Okay. Uh, even though you might say better hours, I had more fun overnight, and I didn't want to leave that. But the station said, well, let's give it a try. And if it doesn't work out, you'll go back to overnight. So even if it didn't work out, I knew I wasn't going to be fired. Now, in the five years, the ratings went up right away. Again, I mean, after nine and a half years, I had built a nice reputation mm-hmm. for better or worse. And not everyone was a big fan. But for the most part, that overnight show worked. And I made a nice name for myself overnight. I was going to be happy staying there, and it wasn't about money. I wasn't making much more than scale, but I was having more fun in a place where I wanted to be, talking about teams that I Uh wanted to talk about. And uh, so I didn't want to do the 10-to-1. He got fired, and my agent and I figured... Okay, we don't want to take a pay cut. So, for about two weeks after that, I knew I had a job. I knew I was going to be in this evening shift or evening slot. Okay. um, But didn't want to take a pay cut because you were making more money working 10 to 1. So, a lot of people thought I was fired, including Seinfeld. And I knew I wasn't. Okay. Uh, My agent was negotiating what my salary was going to be at the time, going, and I knew, and I was not going to go back overnight because Beningo was doing it, and he was doing mm-hmm. very well. So he had replaced me in 95 when I joined Russ. Somewhere in 96 or 97, uh, Beningo started doing overnight. So in a way, they kind of created this shift, for me, uh, and uh, and I wanted to stay, that's for sure, but I wanted to work alone. I did want to work 10 to 1 alone, but not with another partner. But now uh, what was happening, and Mike and the Mad Dog had a lot to do with yeah. this, teams.
1: Yep, you need the team.
0: You know, uh, uh, Francesca can work alone uh, for better or worse, and I would rather work alone because of all the things that I can do Uh, using the medium of radio. So whether it's, you know, music, production pieces, monologues, Uh whatever it may be, you know, and you have a guest and you have callers. And I've always looked at callers as like a co-host. Can't do it without them. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, you know, you could, I like to tell people if they don't know what I do for a living. And most people don't know. And most people don't care what we do. In our world, we think everybody cares. No, most people don't. (laughs) But if somebody asks me what I do, I say, well, and then if they ask me what I'm on, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Depends on who's playing, who's not playing. Let me look at the schedule. I have no idea. And I tell people "I'm I, my contract is renewable every 24 hours. <laughs> and I mean, I don't know. I, cond- I think I'm on all this week after Yankee games, but I'm not sure. I'll, I'll double-check the schedule after we're done. <laughs> But the bottom line is that when people ask me what I do for a living, I say, oh, no, no, I say, not a problem. I talk and talk and talk and say nothing and make a living out of it. A good living you make out of it. Well, not that great. <laughs> Most people think you make more money oh, than you do. I mean, unless you're, you know, like a friend says, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure Boomer makes really good money. And, I mean, it's all relative. Um I never uh, had a lot of money growing up. I'm the son of a grocery clerk, so I mean, I'm proud of that. By the way, of my course. hero, my father, and not, he didn't have all the education in the world, but he knew right from wrong. Just a, a, a great soul. If you had ever met him, you would have liked him. I know you would have. But the bottom line is that uh, so not motivated by money. You need money. Don't get me of wrong. Course. You know, you want to make as much as you can, and I probably should be making more than I do, <laughs> but, I mean, I can pay my bills. So, now there's no social media, so
1: go back to it. So, you knew Russ was gone, but now the rumor around the internet, not the internet, around the sports fans was like, hey, Summers is gone. So, there's, so you, back to it, Jerry from Queens, Jerry yeah, Seinfeld yeah. calls the station, and he is he cursing or yelling at management? Because that's the rumor.
0: Yeah, yeah, he did, and uh, I, I don't think to this day does he like management. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but, um, but, you know, he's quirky a little bit. You have to take my – he's very funny, great stand-up. Mm-hmm. I mean, and uh, we should have his money. I mean, you oh, know. Talking I, oh, about my, money. Oh, geez. I mean, he's printing it. <laughs> but – but uh, and a big Met fan, as you know. And, of course. Uh, and all of that. Not much else with the sports, but a uh, big Met fan. Uh, but the bottom line – he called in and and in that week from what i'm told there were about 5000 calls people thought i was fired and they thought russ didn't help me and they wow. there was like a double edged sword now not long ago russ is doing a podcast and he had me come on and of course i'm being a little bit more candid with you mm-hmm. than than with him because he keeps saying We we did a great show. We did a great show. Of course, of course. (laughs) Calm down. Like working with the, you know, with one of the uh, Adams family, (laughs) working with, you know, but uh, and he would go off on certain callers because he was challenged. He wasn't that great. It isn't rocket science, but TV was more as medium than than radio. It was okay on radio, but. Uh, he had issues a, a, a little bit with, with the radio, and his idea was, "I'm going to screw you before you screw me." And, that, and but he, uh, but you know, he thinks we had the best ten to one. Uh, that we and for and we had the highest ratings at that mm-hmm. time. And I was only doing my job, cutting him off. You say he was better on the TV radio. You don't realize it when I
1: before I started messing around with the podcast and hanging out with Opie and hanging out with Mons a lot. I'm like. That's the easiest job in the world, talking on the radio. But then you think about it, three, four, five hours, content, getting callers. That's a lot of stuff you're going through for five hours. You know hours. what they're
0: going to yeah. call about. I mean, you know, it's uh, going to be one of the nine professional teams in New York. And here's another thing that uh, that I've learned, and because I know this about myself, and this is not false humility. I mean, I don't have to be that way. There's a lot more I don't know than do. I'm not afraid to say I don't know or I made a mistake. I think it helps me. Uh, uh, I I think over the years, you want to be honest. I mean, When I tap dance, when I do shtick, I think people know of it. I don't want to fool anyone. Mm -hmm. I want them to enjoy what I'm having fun doing. So it isn't like, oh, you know, I might be a little cynical, a little sarcastic sometimes with some callers who don't get it. There was a caller I had the other night, this uh, Lou from London. He's really out of it. I mean, you know, and he calls late. And I go, Lou, if I say I'm going to miss you, uh, will you w- – oh, how did I put it? I, I'm taking this out of contents. I have to rewind in my mind. If, if I say I'm going to miss you, will you go away? Yeah, and he just kept talking. But a couple of other callers got it. Yeah, of course they got it. But, uh, but, but normally – I don't want to do that with a caller. I mean, I'm glad they called and, and so forth and so on. And I've learned a lot over the years from callers. Uh, uh, no kidding. I'm not. Uh, you know who I think on the radio station is absolutely great is uh, Evan Roberts and JJ After Dark, mm-hmm. two young people that don't miss a detail. I mean, I do. Sure. I mean, I don't. I'm not a numbers guy. I'm more of a concept, and uh, try to be a little bit more inventive and creative, and giving the same score that we all give. But those guys, they have photographic memories, yep. which Russo had, yeah. and Francesca also. But I think less so now. But Ru- I mean, the, what they can remember—fascinating. Oh no! And, and I, I have so much respect for them. And uh, and uh, at their age, I mean, I could hardly walk straight. <laughs> You know, let alone go on New York radio and start talking like a human being. So I, I, I uh, appreciate and respect and admire other people for what they do in this business or your business. I think you're a hero, by the way. Thank you, sir. Because no, there's no question when you are meeting and dealing with police, and there are bad broadcasters, or bad cops, or Mm -hmm. bad grocery clerks. Of course, like my, I mean, it's all. but what you guys do, generally speaking, if you're, it's not easy in New York City to be a cop or a fireman, let's put it that way. And heroes, generally speaking, to me, you put your life on the line, I'm sorry. You know, and I, uh, my father had a friend who uh, 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 was in combat in World War II, and he fought in the Battle of the Bulge. Wow. You know, he killed Nazis. Doesn't couldn't talk about it because of friends and people. And if you say and he was highly decorated um, and and, and he was, uh, I mean, an American hero and so honored uh, like that. But but couldn't talk about it. Uh, We'll be seeing death around him and never considered himself a hero at all. For 16 years, my family gets mad at me for 16 years
1: now in my 17th year. I never once told a story about what I do from work. How is work? I
0: say always good. I just yeah, don't. Right. I never talk about it at all. No, no, no. But I mean, you have to. I have sun-kissed raisins down here. See, you have <laughs> onions. I mean, you have to like my my wife. Where's the magnifying glass? <laughs> yeah, give me the microscope? No, I'm I'm telling you, I'm the biggest wuss <laughs> in, in the world. And and that is one of the reasons. I, I mean, why. What you do for a living, and others like you, um, to be highly respected, airline pilots, too. To me, you go on an airplane, that's a tube of fuel, you know, 36,000 uh-huh. feet up there. And those guys, you know, maybe they take it for granted, blah, 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 blah. But, I mean, they have all those lives. Hundred, hundreds uh, of people's lives are in their hands. Of as course. Fr- that's crazy. Of course. And, and the most dangerous could be taking off and landing, mm-hmm. let alone being up there. Up in the air, so, sm- smooth sailing. But imagine I mean, landing. Everyone's life is on your line as you go yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. See, with, that, with with athletes, I don't look at them as like role models. Those are my parents. I, I mm-hmm. mean, they, they were – and that's not unusual. I mean, a lot of kids growing up get along with their parents. Some don't. Mm-hmm. I understand that. But millions do. They're not unusual. I admire athletes. Yeah. But, I mean, they're not role models because they're human like us – they're human like we are with flaws, imperfections. And just an immense talent in their special trade. That's oh, what oh, it is. Cool. yeah, sure.
1: Let me ask you something, Steve, because I, I hate having on, like I just had on an astronaut, and I don't want to just talk about space. When That's I had fine. on Oakley, I don't want to only talk about, you know, basketball. When I picture Steve Summers, I picture you in your apartment, like a very simple man, eating a sandwich, having a cup of tea. What else are Coffee. you in? Coffee, okay. Besides sports, what else are you into?
0: Well, that's about it. I mean, it's uh, my hobby and my passion, my love, my work. And I have often said, uh, you know, I wouldn't know what to do with myself if Mm -hmm. I retired. I noticed in the paper on Sunday, just yesterday, uh, uh, that Susan Waldman equated retirement with death. And you can look at it that way, too. I mean, a lot of people look forward to retirement and traveling or playing golf mm-hmm. or whatever it may be that you want to do in retirement, even if it's just you know hanging out, going and seeing family and friends, and going to movies and shows or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now whatever, but I wouldn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> I mean, I think in a way that's sad. I know, <laughs> but but my wife would love for me to retire, but I wouldn't know. And I would say, well, okay, we would go and travel, and then what? We come home, and then what? As long as I have, to some degree, my wits about me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd like to continue, and they—I'm proof that management doesn't listen at night. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> it would have been gone a long time ago. <laughs> One serious issue, because your health, with your your voice. Yeah, because that has to be. I seen. smoke. Yeah, I do smoke. I don't drink anymore. Mm-hmm. I used to drink l- when I was young. No drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's seltzer coffee. I exercise every other day. Now, it's not a heavy-duty exercise, but it's consistent. And I eat like a vegetarian and or a vegan. And what I mean by that is I will eat red meat, but rare. Um, I'll eat chicken a lot without the skin. I mean, in other words, Mm -hmm. because I smoke, it's sort of like Russian roulette. You know, my father used to say to me, okay, you want to exercise, you want to eat right, you're gonna look great in the coffin when you die of lung cancer, and I've never forgotten that he said that. Yeah. It's sort of like, and I had a prostate issue of seventy-two, so I had a prostate issue a couple of years ago that was scary, and they went looking for cancer, couldn't find any, and the prostate issue get older, kind of grows a little bit, so it was pushing on the on the bladder. I don't know how graphic you want me to be. <laughs> I, I said I was away for a couple of weeks, yeah. uh, and uh, this is uh, about two years ago, So and I came back and I said, well, I, I'm not going to get too graphic here uh, coming back from w- what was going on, but let's put it this way. Niagara Falls <laughs> had turned into a babbling brook. You know, I mean, the urination wasn't coming out. Yeah. I mean, you know, let's go already. And that's scary, too, though. Well, it is, yeah. Now, I never saw any blood or okay. anything, you know, that might have been cancerous. But, I mean, it was an issue. Uh, the prostate was big, getting big, and pushing on the bladder and creating an issue. The bladder was saying, get away from me, get away from me. And the kidney was shouting from the other side going, you two stay away <laughs> from me. Don't you come near me, the two of you. I want nothing to do with either of you because they're all three in the same neighborhood there, all next door neighbors. <laughs> I haven't looked at my notes all
1: show, but we're
0: gonna, I've kept
1: you up a little bit. We're going to hit with you a few quick questions. Sound yeah, good? Anything. Here we go. Favorite Seinfeld episode ever?
0: Well, that's the one with uh, Keith Hernandez, of course. Uh, I, uh, there were so many good ones. And by the way, not that this matters and not that this is germane to your question. Richard Ackerman, who's an of update course. person and who, at the fan and all, also down the hall with the CBS Sports Radio Network, he uh, has memorized just about every single episode of that program. There isn't an episode that you couldn't bring up where he could at least give you straight 10 minutes of dialogue from all the characters. And in some episodes, the entire show with the dialogue. Is that uh, and when Seinfeld came down, you know, some years ago to host? Mm-hmm. When I came back after, you know, the two weeks off after being uh, off of the ten to one, Seinfeld came in. Ackerman had lipstick on. He put on, <laughs> a, nice, put on a beautiful dress. Was ready to marry Seinfeld. Was really disappointed to hear that uh, that Jerry was already married with children. Of course, I joke, but I'm just saying that if if uh, Richard. Uh, good. He would marry a uh, Seinfeld. There's no
1: question. I still have those tapes, so I'm a big radio guy. I've always wanted to be on radio, uh, but I never. And want... you are technically, I am now. Especially now, I have listeners because of Opie. But <laughs> I always wanted to do the radio, and I've always saved radio tapes. I have around thousands of cassettes, and I, wow. I have that summer Seinfeld cassette oh, do tape. You? Oh, oh my oh, god! Do you? In my mom's basement down the shore, I have thousands well, of cassette tapes. Here, and I... it,
0: it, first of all, it was a nice thing. That, uh, you know, that he was either calling or, or that he came down. But he never really, and and Chernoff and I have talked about this before, we always wanted him to be funny, if he could, on the air. Never. Never. Not really. I mean, you know, he wanted to be taken very seriously as a, serious as a sports guy. fan yes. and a Met fan. But we would feed him some things, and the the interviews weren't that great. Mm -hmm. It was great that he was here. Exactly. You know, and people would listen, and everybody, the the sales department came in, the promotions department. (laughs) I mean, you never saw so many people, you know, wanting to say hello. Yeah. And uh, so it was kind of fun having him here, but on the radio, it was not that great. It was Uh, generic, but it was Seinfeld. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. uh, He... You know the emails that uh, go back and forth, not as frequent as they used to be. He's more involved in other things. Mm-hmm. His kids are growing up, and so forth, and so on. But uh, 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 but uh, the bottom line is, uh, with him, uh, wanted to be taken seriously. As I say, so so he was, you know, great coming down. He came down a couple times. And it was going to come down once with Larry David, but that never worked out. But we did have Larry David mm-hmm. on, you know, some years ago, big Yankee fan, you know. And uh, so it, it amazed me because I was so naive in the beginning overnight. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, the first time discovering what I could do and if it was working or not, sort of like a like a baby contemplating Fingers and toes for the first time. Wow, I can move everything. You know, and then after you, uh, you live your life, you don't even know. Uh, who cares? You're not even noticing. You can move your, thank God, you can move your finger. But I'm just saying, so I, 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 the timing was, was right for me. I had a cousin saying, you were due, Stephen, uh, because I I'd never held the job longer than three years, wow. radio or TV. Either I was <clears> getting fired, or I was moving along um, on my own, uh, trying to get here. And it took 22 years for me to get here. So, and I uh, hope that when pe- people ask me, do uh, do I want to die here? And I say I do nightly. <laughs> and then listen and you you're going to not you're going to be very kind and very polite there are some shows that aren't very good and the energy isn't there or the quickness isn't there and then I don't take anything for granted and I still care and any of the guys that I work with would tell you that but I also know when I'm not good mm-hmm. and I know when I'm Feeling it when you're on, when you're in the zone. Yeah, then you know, and you know too, doing mm-hmm. it. Of course, you know uh, you don't need anyone to tell you. And uh, people, my wife will say, "Well, you're you're uh, not as bad as you think you are." And I also then say to her, "Well, I'm not as good as I think <laughs> maybe some people might think of me." So, I, I mean, I, but that keeps me going, though. Mm-hmm. You know, not not coming in, sitting down on Steve Summers. I've been here 32 years. Uh, all I have to do is say hello. And you never go through the motions. You never do. Yeah, no, I try not to. No. Forget about calories, fat, carbs.
1: One favorite meal in New York City. Right now, if you can have a go-to meal, what's your go-to well, meal? Well,
0: if I had one meal, like, like the, my last, it would be pizza in a number of places. Okay. New York pizza, nothing like it. I, I like baby back ribs, but I haven't had again i uh d- I don't eat a lot of red meat mm-hmm. at all a lot of turkey a lot of chicken some fish seitan which is a meat su- do you know what that is I do not. it's a meat substitute okay so and it tastes like meat to me and uh, so uh uh some a lot of salad a lot of vegetables uh uh my brother i had uh, the worst diet in the world Potato chips every day oh. and hot dogs every day and red meat and ice cream every day. So, and it didn't help mm-hmm. uh, with him. So, uh, a little bit different with me and and because I smoke, it's sort of as I was mentioning to you, r- uh, r- Russian roulette. You know, uh, eating right, exercising consistently, and uh, but once in a while, uh, r- red meat. Uh, uh, once in a while. Baby back ribs. But if I had one last meal. It's pizza. To t- t- Tones, Coney Island, Lombardi's yes. on Spring, Spring Street. Spring Street, the oh, best. Oh, jeez. 32 Spring Street. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. no oh, great.
1: If Steve Summers can watch one team win a title, you can only watch one team the rest of your life win the title. Mets. Mets. One more title yeah. for Mets.
0: I-, I could say Jets, too, because mm-hmm. I root for them. Yes. and uh, But uh, I would like to see them. Uh, baseball is my favorite sport. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and then tied for second is football and the NBA. So I wish it was the rangers I was the Rangers. Oh, I'm were... a big Ranger yes. fan. There's no question about that. It's uh, it's like one one A, one B, one C, uh, in, the, in the in that order. I mean, that's how close those four teams are. I mean, I was following them when I was a kid, obviously mm-hmm. from a distance because of San Francisco and Sacramento. Atlanta, and Los Angeles. I worked with Brian Gumble in L.A. And uh, let me put it to you this way. He had more action in my place than I did in my own apartment.
1: <laughs> really?
0: Yeah. Legendary stuff? Legendary <laughs> stuff. Everything that moved. <laughs> really? Take my word. Good for him. And uh, listen, and a uh, young, good-looking guy, now much older, and, uh, and you know, he's a, a great dresser, big fan of Mexican food. He used to call me his little Z, for little Zionist brother. And I would just call him BG. And uh, he, he was difficult to get along with, but not for me. I'm not that way. I mean, you know, I respect people who are good at what they do. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't, you know, oh, there's another announcer, well, I'm jealous of him. I'm only worried about what I can do, you know, to be the best that I can be. Mm-hmm. Well, he's going to worry about him being the best that he can be. I, I mean, I so I don't have – and I respect other people doing what I do. Yeah, it's a I hard mean, job too. I, right. I mean, I'm just saying – and they do – see, guys like – and I was mentioning before about Evan, smarter, really smart people, smarter than I am, and they go deeper than I do. Now, I'm not a numbers guy. never have Mm -hmm. been. But with stats, facts, figures, analytics, sabermetrics, those guys are at the top of their head and with technology also. Mm -hmm. See, with me, if you want me to change a light bulb, Mike, I put my hands on the light bulb, and you got to turn me around.
1: (laughs) You think I'm joking? We talked about a couple more questions, and I'll let you go. We talked about you had the great spot of – A big sports story happens. A big game happens. You're on the air. What was the biggest game or event that you came on after, right after? Like, bang, just happened, and Steve Summers is on. Oh, the
0: Rangers winning the Stanley Cup. 94, being the Canucks. That was it. It was great. Everybody was crying. Me, too, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Callers on the way home from the Garden, and then after... And Neil Smith said, if we won a Stanley Cup, I'll co-host a show with you, which he did. Did he? The entire overnight. So that was if you easy. Rangers win the Cup. That was the easiest night of your life, right? Imagine oh, that. Oh, geez. Just taking one call from my father, from callers, wow. from my father, from my mother, from my grandfather, from my grandmother, from my uncle, from my older, you know, those who hadn't seen a Stanley Cup in 54 years. The Game 7 with the Devils and the Rangers uh, in the conference finals. I was at the Garden that night, and I've been to Super Bowls. I've been to World Series before. Um, I saw Al McGuire when I was working in Atlanta win an NCAA championship Mm -hmm. with Marquette at the Omni, which is no longer in Atlanta. Um, Now it's a Georgia Dome. They have a Georgia... But uh, so I've seen a lot of major sporting events. Game seven. and hockey, not number one. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like one, one A, one, B, one C. Hockey would be fourth, but right up there with. but baseball is my favorite sport. Anyway, so that game seven, conference finals, Devils, uh, Rangers, Mateau, Mateau, Mateau. Uh, one, by far, I think. Most exciting sporting event I'd ever seen in person, and I was there for that the Matto goal wraparound on Pro uh, door never forget it. And the Garden, ooh, rocking and rolling. I guess you can imagine.
1: For me, mine was a uh, game six ninety six Yankees. It was on my birthday. Oh wow! And my dad slept outside for two nights. I get tickets, and that state when Girardi hits the triple, sure. And Charlie Hayes catches the ball. Yeah, sure. I, I was sixteen. I remember like. <laughs> I was nervous. I never felt the stadium, like, that much energy. So, for me, that was my Rangers game seven. Who's Steve Summer's celebrity crush? Celebrity crush? Yeah, crush. Like, who's
0: who's your all-time favorite girl? A girl? Movie star, yeah. Yeah. uh, Oh, Sophia Loren. Okay. Oh, now, now she's in her 80s now. She's 10, Mm -hmm. 12, 13 years older than me. Uh, The first time I felt being a man was watching her in a movie called The Pride and The Passion. It was made in 1957, but I didn't see it until a couple of years later. Mm-hmm. Her dance, her, she played a Spanish uh, peasant. Uh, <laughs> I had never in my life, and to this day... It, it it arouses me. I'm serious, and mm-hmm. like I say with my wife, my wife is going. Where is it? <laughs> like a, my, like she was, It's like a mushroom cap. Give me a microscope. I mean, you think I'm joking already? What? Where is it hidden? What? But this this this, Sophia Loren, and, mm. and you could go to Google. Oh, I know it. Uh, and she was, I think, 22 mm. at the time in her in her prime. What? I mean just reeking with sexuality, and so by far and away, Sophia Loren, and, uh, but The Pride and the Passion, it was a bad movie. Frank Sinatra was in it, Cary Grant was in it. Cary Grant had an affair with Sophia Loren, who married a man, a director in mm-hmm. Italy, mm-hmm. who married a guy, Carlo Ponty, uh, who was maybe 35 years her, her uh, senior, you know, uh, but he was a very famous director. He got her career going. And she, I mean, reeking, <laughs> oozing with sexuality. And you could I mean, now she's still. Uh, she still uh, looks uh, good. Uh, yeah, for her age. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's in her 80s. My goodness, that's old. So, But she carries herself with grace and dignity and class. She's a queen in Italy. I, make no mistake. I mean, she's uh, revered. A rever- look at the Mets leading uh, two again, nothing. Yeah, no, and they won the first game too. Mm-hmm. It's good to be king. And uh, you're a Yankee fan, so that's fine. But I'm I'm ashamed to admit sometimes in public on the radio, I'm a Met fan, a Jet fan, a Nick fan. I love, love. I watch the unwatchables with the Knicks. Oh, me too. I love them. They
1: break my heart every year, and like am, like a battered geez. woman, Steve. I keep coming back yeah, every year. Course. I'm like, this is the. It's in your blood. It is.
0: It is, Mike. I it's, don't- it, 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 we have a Met fan, I always say, with mm-hmm. Lorenzo from Brooklyn, mm-hmm. that he, it's in his DNA. He screams and he yells, he's frustrated, but it's like a member of the family. And it is. You get involved emotionally. It. It's, your, it's a matter of civic
1: pride. It's your team. Forever. And you know what? You can talk about them. When someone else talks, it's family. Yeah, correct. And, and you, right. that shows your loyalty as a human, by the way. If you ever switch teams, oh, I lose no, a lot of respect. I lose respect for you.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Well. I'm gonna. uh, We'll wrap it up with this, Steve. I ask everyone on my show. Sure. If you and I are out, who's the coolest person in your phone that if you wrote to them, they would write back to you?
0: Right away, within a day or two. uh, uh, (laughs) Or they wouldn't write back at all with me, (laughs) baby. So in other words, uh, I we're out. Yes. And I'm going to write somebody that I know. Yeah, you, you and I, uh, I'll tell you this,
1: Steve, we're out.
0: Would and, uh, the wife be uh, uh, No, because answer? people wouldn't care. Now, yeah, right. If
1: we're out with a group of people, oh, and I'm like, this is Steve Summers. Are you talking about somebody famous? Someone or? famous.
0: Oh, I think Seinfeld, Seinfeld. would write back. Yeah, I, I, Yeah. he would do that. Yeah. Be, uh, That's uh, a great uh, answer. Great answer. Yeah, no, I, I, it's like I'm dropping names. That's the only name I could but drop. But that's the point of this. Yeah, I, I think that would be, yeah, he would write, because he responds usually mm-hmm. in a day or two, by the way, not right away. That's impressive, though. On an email. Yeah. Well, he began listening in the beginning. See, he he kind of grew up with the station a little bit, and with me, and he was an, a late night mm-hmm. person.
1: Because if we do the comedy clubs, then he, listen to sports I radio. I met
0: him at 2 o'clock in the morning at a bodega. Uh, uh, I had just gotten through watching Saturday Night. I know you want to get going. No, no, I, 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 I want to I, hang out I, with you forever. I, uh, the uh, uh, I ju- it was a Saturday night, mm-hmm. and I had just gotten through. I hadn't, I wasn't married, and I was uh, watching Saturday Night Live. One thirty, it ended. It was uh, in in summertime. Uh, it was hot. I was humid. My air conditioner, I wanted to get some ice cream. So I walk down to the corner on where I live, in, in Bodega, and I see two people in there. And one of them looks familiar. The other, the, uh, a, a black fellow I didn't recognize, but one of Jerry Seinfeld's best friends, George Wallace, another comedian, mm-hmm. but I wasn't familiar with him. They were the only two in the grocery store. Where I went looking for some ice cream. So I got my ice cream, and then I... I don't am wearing a Met hat and a T-shirt, sweatpants. I, mean, I was just home watching TV, you know, and he wanted somebody to... So I looked at Double Take. He's by the serial department, of course, Of right? course he is. So, and he's wearing a Met cap also. They're dressed down. They had been at Catch a Rising Star, uh-huh. which was around the block from me, which is no longer there, but they had gone to a comedy show. Now he's looking for cereal, and I guess the two of them are going to go home. Now I'm looking for the ice cream. We're the only three in there, along with the guy behind the counter. And I walked up to him, and I said, I was gulping. I was nervous. And I I took a card out, which I don't even carry. But I had a card. Well, I carried that night. I had a card. And I didn't figure he was going to know WFAN or me or both. And I... Walked up to him and and I said, "Uh, Miss, uh, I said Jerry, my, uh, my name is Steve Summers. I work at WFAN Radio here. I just want to say I'm a fan. I hope I'm not bothering you." He never made eye contact. He, he he took the card that I had out, looked at the card, and then looked up at me, and said, "You're Steve Summers. I listen to you almost every night." Wow. Oh, again, like Sophia Lauren, the same <laughs> boy. Honest to God. I wow. swear. Yeah, that's how I met him. And then the following Monday, the two a couple days later, he came came on. That is unbelievable. Yeah, uh, yeah. And all oh, by chance, of course. I I was I, I was blown away. And he, I, I, I I you know, I called my mother, my mother and my father were alive. I called them. I said, you're not going to believe what just happened. Jerry Seinfeld listens to me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah.
1: One personal question for me. Yeah. Because I'll tell you, how did it happen when you would go, uh, you know, behind the glass, the Eddie Kazari? No, Ed Coda. How did that oh, happen yeah. with the yeah, Eddie Kazari? Eddie
0: was uh, uh, working with me overnight, and, uh, way back when, and he called Whitey Herzog. He wanted to get Whitey Herzog because the Cardinals and Mets in 87 had a big uh, rivalry going. The Mets had won in 86. Cardinals were good in 87, blah, blah, blah. So he, get, he gets a hold of Whitey Herzog. And Eddie, on the phone as the producer and, and choreographer, as I say, and all bored up, he's uh, talking to him, and, he, and he's got the recording. Uh, is re- being recorded. And he says, um, um, Eddie goes, well, can you come on uh, this program? And uh, Herzog goes, what program are you talking about? He didn't know from. And, he, and Herzog apparently interrupted him, said, who am I talking to? Mm-hmm. With WFAN, what is that? Steve Summers, what is that? And he goes, who am I talking to? And and, and Eddie goes, Eddie Scazzeri. And Herzog goes, the Eddie Scazzeri. <laughs> That's how it happened. I used to love that the Eddie. no, and you'd be like Ed Coda, and you would just pick yeah. some random. Eddie Ed. Brusseau, no, Ed, Ed no, it was a whole line of Eddies. <laughs> like Ed Brusseau, no, 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 Ed, Ed, Ed no, the Eddie Scizari, Ed Cranepool? no, Ed Scizari, <laughs> Eddie Della Hussein? no, Eddie Scizari, no, and one night he kept playing the tape of oh, Herzog. he has the actual Go- tape of he it, yeah, oh, that's had cool. A little tape of going, the Eddie <laughs> And he, he kept playing it over and over and over again. The only one night that I got uh, through a number of different eddies before he's, he, he stopped it. Uh, he tried it again after that. I couldn't get all the eddies, you know. But uh, one time it worked. But no, no, the Eddies. Ed Krumple, that's a great story. Ed Krumple, Kroomp- who do you think we're talking?
1: I gotta tell you, Steve. We're gonna finish up now. I uh, started this around five or six years ago with four listeners: my mom, my dad, my mm. brother, and my partner. And um, you know, luckily over the years, the show got a little more popular. And uh, two or three years ago, I was on a uh, Kentucky radio. I'm a Kentucky basketball fan, so I once a month they have me call in to do like the New York sports thing with them. And they said, "Give me a top ten guests." And it was Anthony Bourdain. It was a president, it, and you made the list. So to have you oh, on, yeah. and I really mean that, this was Thanks. an honor. You were, uh, for me, appointment listening. So sitting here with you telling stories blew my mind. And I'm glad my persistency kept up and you finally gave in, Steve. This was an honor.
0: Well, and and, and, and I can say also works both ways, Mike. And, uh, and again, so many things happen some with your schedule. Mm-hmm. So I had to keep putting you off and off and off and off and off. Always flattered that you were thinking of, uh, of doing uh, a podcast with me. So, again, it works both ways. Very, very flattered. You've made my day on this Monday by having me, and I'm glad you did. Steve, thank you so much, my friend. Thanks for having me again.